Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day everybody. I've been so bit so busy building my little Amazon account management agency over at amosphere.com.au, getting it set up as an official service provider for Amazon, that I've not had time to get a podcast episode out the door for over a month, so apologies for that. But anyway, today I have a very special episode with Peak Design's head of marketing and a good friend of mine, Adam Saraceno. Now, Peak Design started about 10 years ago with a single camera accessory product, the Camera Capture Clip. And Peter Daring, who's the CEO of Peak Design, launched that product on Kickstarter and it instantly became a runaway success, becoming Kickstarter's third biggest of all time campaign in 2011. Pete was so busy with the campaign that he called on Adam, who we're talking to today, his old college buddy, to help out. And Adam has been with Peak Design ever since. And they've since gone on to raise an astounding $34.5 million in crowdfunding campaigns over the last 10 years. Today, we discuss all of that and what happened when Amazon Basics copied one of their products and how Peak Design responded and the lessons learned from that experience to help you reduce the chances of Amazon stealing your successful product ideas into the future. Now, Regina, Peter Bergsky and I are back on with the Amazon Collective. We are holding the conference and the mastermind on the weekend of the 18th, 19th and 20th of March 2022. Now, the conference will be held off-site in the beautiful Yarra Valley, just outside of Melbourne. It's strictly for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon business owners based here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, it's not for newbies or beginners. So if you want to learn more about that and register some interest in it, um, head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash collective. Now, don't forget to join my Facebook group over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook. I'm still offering private coaching, so please head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Chris to book an hour session with me and make sure you're heading in the right direction. Anyway, let's get on with this week's show with Adam Saraceno from Peak Design. another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome to the show Adam Saraceno from Peak Design. So, Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Great to be here, Chris. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. It's good to see you again yes. uh, after such a long time. And uh, I'd like to start by just saying that you have a perfect podcasting voice. <laughs> Stop it. Now, it is we uh, we actually met through your gorgeous wife, Lara, um, who I was working with years ago when I was working at a digital agency here in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, she was, what was she doing there? I've actually forgotten what, what her role was. I think she was a... She was uh, doing project management. Project, that's right. Um, which was, ended up being about as fun as it sounds to me, <laughs> uh, which is not fun. No. So she ended up quitting and then working at a deli. And right. had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, that's it. Because I was telling her about an invention that I had that I wanted to commercialize. And she was saying, you should crowdfund that. You should talk to my boyfriend, Adam. And so that's when we met. And we went out and had a few beers. And you gave me a few pointers and talked to told me about the story of how uh, you started working with Peter. And um, so why don't we kick off there? Like, tell, tell that story again. 
Uh, yeah, sure. And by the way, mm-hmm. uh, I had my hibernate up until a couple of years ago when I left it in a hotel in Minnesota accidentally. So oh, I'm going to need to, if you got any of those still available. I've got a couple lying around, but I actually sold the business last year. So, I, um, that's another oh, story. Wow. Yeah. All another right. Podcast for another day. Excellent. Anyway. Uh, so I was, uh, before I lived in Australia, yeah. Uh, I lived in New Zealand for a year doing a working holiday and just picking up odd random jobs. And in between those two trips, uh, a buddy of mine from college had invented a doodad to carry your camera with on your backpack strap. And, uh, he had decided to launch it on Kickstarter. This was back in 2011. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, my only source of revenue was I, I was pet sitting for my sister while she was on her honeymoon. <laughs> and so uh, I was underemployed and uh, my buddy needed help yes. making a website and doing some marketing and press and sales and customer service. Mm-hmm. And so I just jumped in and the arrangement was uh, if this thing is successful, he would pay me at some point. <laughs> that's a, that's an ironclad contract right there. Um, and then that actually was a very successful project. I think it went on to raise about what, 360 or 70,000 US dollars for the camera, original camera capture clip. And uh, yeah, at the time huge. it was the third most funded campaign ever. Um, yeah. Obviously it's been since eclipsed by, oh. you know, hundreds of campaigns, but yeah, uh, yeah it had its it had its day in the sun for sure. All right. So, and you've been with Peak Design ever since, yeah? That's correct. Yeah. 10 years. So, at the beginning, it was just the two of you. And then, what's it grown into now? Like, how big's the team? We are now 40 wow. employees. Uh, and then that doesn't include all of like the contractors and, yeah. you know, partners that we work really, really closely with for manufacturing, customer service, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. We, I estimate that there's probably, I don't know, a thousand people worldwide who spend most of their working hours working on peak design. <laughs> so you've got dozens of products now, I think, in circulation and you've crowdfunded. Well, actually, how many have you crowdfunded in total? We've done 10 campaigns and essentially all of our products have been launched via Kickstarter. Yeah. And that's somewhere in the ballpark of like 40-ish products and mm. 250 maybe individual SKUs. That's crazy with all of the variations and things around those products like colors and sizes and things. Um, yeah. And then so 10 campaigns over the last, what are we talking now, 10 years. So that's a campaign a year. How much have you raised from crowdfunding in total? Do you know? Yeah. In total, we've done $34.5 million. <laughs> That's US dollars. So here in Australia, our pesos, that would work out to around about close to 50, 50 million Australian dollars, which is not insignificant. In fact, yeah, it's just crazy. Oh, wow. I lived in Australia at the wrong time because <laughs> when I was there, it was the opposite. Yeah. No, it's down to about 70 uh, US cents. We'll buy one Australian dollar at the moment. So it's not a good time for us to go overseas, but it's a great time for you to come back here. All right. All right, let's do it. Sold. Done. Um, so where best do you manufacture all these products? What kind of products are they? Uh, we have kind of two main supply chains. Our soft goods, so backpacks and bags and 
that stuff mm-hmm. is made in Vietnam mm-hmm. outside of Ho Chi Minh City and our hard goods. Uh, so mostly our like camera accessories and mm-hmm. tripods mm-hmm. are made in China, mm-hmm. in uh, Guangzhou. Yeah, Guangzhou, classic. It's awesome there. Yeah. Uh, so what? when did you guys actually start selling your products and launching your products onto Amazon.com? We started around 2015, mm-hmm. but didn't really get serious about it until around 2017. Um, and we, we might have even sold earlier than 2015, mm-hmm. but we had tried different variations of FBA, and then we became an Amazon seller again. And then we tried to have distributors and retailers do it for us. And and we went back to being FBA and then Amazon tried to pressure us into becoming a seller. And yeah, a vendor. It got ugly for a little bit. And then finally, we just back in 2017, we just sort of established ourselves. We're going to do FBA. Yep. We hired somebody to to kind of manage that part of our business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's really when, when it took off for us. Yeah, right. When you sort of got a bit more serious and got dedicated into the mix. So what's the split then in terms of, do you know the split of revenue between how much you sell on your website versus, you know, the Amazon channel? Yeah. Well, it's, it's varied a lot year over year. Um, this year we are about 72, uh, 70, 75% of our direct revenue is coming from our website. That's awesome. Um, versus Amazon. But back in 2019, we our website and Amazon were almost yeah neck and neck at parity yeah um, and so and I, I would have I would I will expect as we move forward for Amazon to continue to increase in sales percentage mm-hmm. um, it's just that the pandemic hit Amazon way harder than it did our website yeah um, so it's just the inventory issues and stuff like that that's right actually let's talk about that whereabouts do you so are you importing all your products from both China and Vietnam and then warehousing them in the US for worldwide distribution or how, how are you actually doing your logistics and your, your fulfillment? We use a 3PL called Shipwire. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. And we warehouse our products in currently six global warehouses. Wow. One of which is in the US, one in Canada, one in Australia, Netherlands, UK, and Hong Kong. Gosh. Um, and so with that, we are, yeah, our, our products are sent if we can do it, uh, via ship, sometimes via air to those individual warehouses. And then we typically stock our FBA warehouses from our ship 3PL from the ship wire ones. Yeah. Wow. So who, <laughs> who's got the poor job of managing the inventory and stock levels <laughs> and ordering it? That is, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a hot potato uh, or not necessarily a hot potato. Mm. There's a number of people involved in managing that. Yeah. Uh, but so Adam Hicks is, is our guy who runs our Amazon channel. He is the one kind of overseeing where we need inventory and what our stocking levels are as well as all of the other, you know, our product listings, all the random yeah. crap that comes up when you're yeah. trying to sell on Amazon. Uh-huh. Um, and he kind of has a team of supporting people 
from other areas of the company that will jump in and help with specific things. So does he do all the advertising as well for all those products? We, he manages our advertising partner, mm-hmm. uh, who's currently Tenuity. In 2016, you crowdfunded the Everyday Backpack, the Tote, and the Sling, which is where we're sort of heading with this podcast episode. Yes. And you raised an astounding six points, close to 6.6 million US dollars just for that one campaign. And there was like, what, 26,000 backers or something? It was just completely bonkers. Yeah, it was big. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you launch and promote your crowdfunding campaigns? I actually want to talk to you a little bit about your crowdfunding and how successful and why are you so successful with those campaigns that you launch? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there, there's there's definitely not a silver bullet to our crowdfunding success. Mm-hmm. And it's a question that we get asked a lot. Uh, and the answer that we always give ends up being kind of like mundane and unsatisfying. So <laughs> I'll try to make it as spicy as possible. Awesome. Thanks, man. But, you know, part of it is is luck. We launched on Kickstarter in 2011 mm-hmm. and our first campaign was a big hit and we ended up being a big fish in a small pond. Yes. And, you know, compared to now, Kickstarter is a lot bigger. There's a lot more active projects. Uh, media mm-hmm. outlets are less likely to cover crowdfunding projects. And so it's just a, a harder kind of environment to kind of stick your neck above the fray, I think. So, so kind of getting that early jump helped us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We launched in a product category where there happens to be a lot of people on the Kickstarter platform that are interested in, there's a lot of gear nerds Mm. buying stuff on Kickstarter and we make a lot of nerdy gear. (laughs) Uh, And so there was, you know, we had alignment with that kind of target market from the beginning Mm. and we didn't plan it that way. We just kind of, Lucked. stupidly walked into Kickstarter <laughs> and were like, oh, wait, you guys really like camera gadgets, don't you? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, over the years, we have introduced products that are uh, adjacent to or complementary yeah. to, you know, the, the the previous campaigns that we've run. Yeah, yeah. So we've kind of year over year built this audience that grows and we continue to go back to um, and, you know, release products that many of those people have requested at some point in time. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but then there's other stuff too. Like I, we, we do, um, I think compared to a lot of creators, we have a very hands-on approach to how we run our campaigns. Yeah. Uh, we have v- like frequent weekly updates. We do these big YouTube live hangouts and question answer sessions Mm -hmm. and product demos. We between Kickstarters and the quote unquote off season, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we send out surveys to our backers and we, we we try to really kind of like foster a a really tight knit community among those folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, you know, now, now that we've been running for like 10 years, when we like survey the average peak design customer, Mm -hmm. I think they own like seven products, which is crazy for a company that makes, you know, pretty premium priced things. Yes. So uh, we've definitely been able to build like a loyal following there. 100%. It's amazing just um, how engaged they are in the lifetime value of those those backers, those original backers and having bought seven of your products. I mean, that's in many cases worth thousands of dollars. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Congratulations. And then, I, you know, in, in addition to all that, there's also some like tactical stuff that I think has helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we try to like keep our rewards very simple. Mm-hmm. We don't do a lot of like the early bird type stuff that, that has become in vogue mm-hmm. to do in Kickstarter campaigns. We just kind of, you know, the reward is the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to kind of like remove that paradox of choice as much as possible. Yeah. Um, we've, we've hired, we've hired a ad agency that specializes in Kickstarter advertising mm-hmm. called Jellop. Jellop. There's a few other big ones out there like funded today and backer kit, some other ones. Yeah. Uh, but with Kickstarter, with, with digital advertising for Kickstarter, it's, it's a kind of a, it's it's almost a different sport than just digital advertising for a normal e-commerce website. Yeah. You have to target people who have backed other Kickstarter campaigns before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so they have this very rich kind of pool of data from all the campaigns they've worked with in the past. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you know, so, much better to like targeting when you use an agency like that. So how do they... Um... Yeah, well, they do. They, I can see how they build those audiences. Do they do lookalikes or anything like that as well? Or they do. They have all sorts of Ta- tricks up their sleeve <laughs> for you know how can they more effectively target yes. you know super backers. That's right. Um, That's right. They've created Facebook groups and all sorts of kind of. They they have some of their own. Mm. Media and communities that they leverage. I see. I see. So it's all, and it's all just it's they go really, really deep on being really effective at ads specifically for Kickstarter campaigns, Uh and to they just do it to an extent that we could never ourselves do internally. What What does that sort of look like in terms of spend, and how do you measure your return on investment around that ad spend with them? It's yeah, they work on a uh, percentage fee that is almost essentially a spend plus commission model. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, long story short, we have pretty conservative ROI. You yeah. know, we have a pretty conservative ROI basement. We don't like to spend a dollar to make a dollar. We like to spend a dollar to make $2. Sure. Um, and, and so they've always kind of existed within that realm of like confidently profitable. Excellent. Um, mm. Yeah. But it, it also varies from project to project. Yeah. As a- you know, when we were selling backpacks and slings, the, you know, w- we could spend a lot more on that than we could when we were selling mobile products. Right. Just because the the mobile products had a lower price point, yes, and it was less conversion all around, and yeah, yeah, yeah that's a really competitive space too. The old mobile phone type accessory, it yeah. is. <laughs> and I saw one of your campaigns; it did very well, though. Um, but uh, I've got the name of that product. What was the one with the mobile phone strap thing? Uh, well, it's just called Mobile <laughs> Mobile by Peak Design. That's it. That's the name of the uh, yeah the product there, which has ended up being really. Uh, it's led to so much confusion, especially within our marketing team when we're talking about our website and the desktop versus the mobile experience. And <laughs> then, then there's also a product line called mobile. And Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky. A lot of confusion. Tricky. I can see where that's coming from. Um, so, you anyway, know, let's get back to the sling though, because this is the, 
the big one. So you launched the Sling, I believe it was in 2019 on Amazon. Is that right? When did you launch that? We so the we launched the everyday sling first in 2016, and then a revamped version of it in 2019. Mm. I guess yeah, somewhere around there. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. And then talk to me about what happened soon after you did that. <laughs> well, in 2020, mm-hmm. Amazon launched uh, the everyday sling. So our sling is called the everyday sling. Mm-hmm. And Amazon launched a sling called the Everyday Sling that looked suspiciously like our Everyday Sling. Didn't it? Um, and suspiciously is sort of an understatement. I mean, it was almost a a pattern for pattern ripoff of our product. Yeah, it was. Um, which, and it was under the Amazon it's Basics ex- label. And yeah. Even like went as far as to, you know, we have this sort of like trapezoidal shape on our products where we put the peak design logo right. uh on a seam and they like pick the same seam and the same trapezoidal shape and it says amazon basics in there. <laughs> just uh just a real slap across the face it was um so yeah that that happened that happened so how did you guys respond talk to me tell us about that because that was quite interesting uh well we uh we we dropped a lot of f bombs and uh, we were we were pretty pissed off for a while. Yeah. Um, we you know our first reaction was to you know we we work both with Amazon and with like third party monitoring services to take product counterfeits and product knockoffs mm-hmm. off of Amazon and other marketplaces. Like it's a pretty big important task we do. Yes. To kind of, you know, uh, protect. to to protect our IP, yeah, right? Yeah. And so our first inclination was like, well, I guess we got to tell Amazon to take it down. Uh-huh. And after scrounging through our IP records, we realized that they didn't technically violate any specific IP we had. Uh, we didn't have the name Everyday Sling trademarked. Mm. We had not filed a uh, design patent yep. on that specific bag. And yeah. Wow. So they, they had exploited a, a hole in our IP, which I'm sure they researched before oh, yeah. making that product. Yep. Um, and so really from a legal perspective, there was nothing we could do. Yep. Um, and so plan B was just like, well, you know what? Uh, we've got a lot of customers. Like it, it was customers who had first clued us into that oh. this bag existed on Amazon. So, wow. and and you know, they we had read Reddit posts in the Peak Design subreddit of like, oh, this is such bullshit! I can't believe Amazon's doing this. Mm. And we knew that there was definitely customer sentiment on our side. Yeah. And so Plan B was like, well, let's just make a funny video calling out Amazon, and like at least it'll give ourselves a yeah. a moment to uh, to kind of like well, uh, call it out and commiserate with our customers about that's this. right yeah and uh, and so that involved Peter and another team member I wasn't sure who the other team member was yeah that that, uh, that was Joe, Joe calendar from our video team he's funny um, and yeah he is a funny guy <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so we got Peter and Joe, and it, it, you know, it, it was a team effort yes. to to write and produce the video. But we're lucky we've got a we have a in house video team. You know, we have a ten person marketing team, and three of those people are dedicated video shooter editor producers. Experts. Yep. So, um, and it was incredibly we, we creative. had in house resources to do this, and we just did it in a yeah. in a room in the peak design office and <laughs> um you know we wrote a rough script and then shoot day came yeah. and they just kind of knocked it out went a little off script <laughs> and then edited it up and and uh, posted it to youtube yeah it was and that video has been watched how many times it's actually i'm actually just bringing it up now because i should have had this stat 4.6 million views on this video and i encourage folks to to go to the show notes for today's episode, which by the way is 120. So if you go to the AustralianSeller.com forward slash 120, that'll uh, redirect you to the show notes and I'll have a link to the video and it is hilarious. So you definitely want to check that out. So there, and the reaction too from the, there was almost 1500 comments on this and all of them were supporting Peak Design and dissing Amazon. And there was also quite a lot of other people that started doing videos about the you know, David versus Goliath battle that you that you sort of called Amazon out on, and the fact that they'd copied you. So there's it really sort of created a, a snowball effect. It just it just rippled out as people were quite outraged about what Amazon had done to you guys. It was amazing. Yeah, I think you know without like I said, the point of the video was just to kind of blow off some steam and and commiserate with our customers and, mm. and have a kind of a moment with them. We certainly didn't realize when making it that it would strike a bit of a deeper chord with so many people uh, and so many publications. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, Amazon's just sort of general demeanor of being evil and <laughs> anti-small business yes. um, has, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a story that people want to write about and talk about right now. Yeah, so yeah. we were lucky to kind of get caught up in that wave. You sure did. And then, I mean, the publicity that came out from it too and all of that, you know, all of the, the blog posts and the other videos and, and, and it actually did a, a really good thing for your brand in terms of your integrity and uh, and the fact that, yeah, you just, you know, it's just so unfair. It was just unbelievable that Amazon even did this. I'm still quite outraged by the whole thing. So You know, the... the uh, we're, we're certainly not the first brand that no. this has ever happened to. That's true. Uh, and, and, you know, we're of all the brands that it has happened to, my God, we, we were lucky. Like we had, this is just one of our many products that they knocked off. Mm. They actually took the product down. They changed the name and then removed the product completely a few months later. Wow. Uh, so that product's no longer selling on Amazon. So do you think that's because of your, you know, the, the, the video and the publicity and the... I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. that kind of got through some channels and, and they said, all right, we get this bad optics. Like, yep. I mean, they were selling the bag too for like $35. So they couldn't have been making much money on, on it. Oh, um, I saw it for like $21, you know, just... Yeah, it's uh, crazy. You know, their algorithms will, I'm sure, change the price every day based on a complicated <laughs> equation. But yeah. yeah, they were selling it for. It would have been a very low margin product for them, mm. and it could have even been a project product that they were losing money on, but trying to yeah. 
you know, whatever. Acquire new uh, customers uh, and kind of, do the loss later. I think exactly. Yeah. See if they could take share away from us in that category. But I mean, there's so many other companies who make one or two products and Amazon rips it off and they're just toast. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we were lucky there. Yeah, also, I think the every time we gave an interview about this, to the com- publications just wanted to write these like just roasting stories <laughs> about Amazon. And they wanted to get us sound bites of talking about how evil and they were. Mm-hmm. And like we're, the whole time we're like, well, you know, to, to be honest, like Amazon's kind of like our biggest direct sales partner. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Everybody at Peak Design uses Amazon personally. Mm-hmm. Like we all, we use it for our company all the time. They've been responsible for tons of growth. So I don't know. Yeah. You can give Amazon shit, but like they're also, yeah, they've also done quite a bit uh, to add value to consumers. This is true for the most part, but it's these occasional stories like this that are not, not great. Do you know any, do you have any sense of when Amazon launched the bag, what impact that had on the sales of the everyday sling, the peak design version of the? you know, the original and the best? It didn't have a big impact. And and I don't really I don't really know exactly what it was. We weren't sure quite when it came to exist. Yeah. Um, you know, and the everyday sling is it's just it's one of many products that we sell on Amazon. And so yeah. rarely do we kind of like delve into the individual SKU um, yeah. details. That's right. Um, you know, and, and also at any given time, there's, you know, not just Amazon knocking off one of our products. There's five other random no-name brands that have knocked off our products that we're constantly trying to remove or Whack them all. skirt around in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. Just so annoying. <laughs> the victim of your own success almost there. And uh, yeah, yeah. So other than you mentioned trademark on the name Everyday Sling and then also the design patent, which probably would have prevented this from happening is there anything else that you can do do you think or tips for anybody else that may have a wildly successful product on amazon what should people do well yeah i mean the my first my first piece of advice is get your ip sorted Mm -hmm. and it's it's expensive it's really expensive so there's always like it kind of depends on what stage you are in your business I, you know, and how many products you have and how much money you want to sink into it. It can cost tens, yeah. if not a hundred or more thousand dollars to secure a piece of IP. Mm-hmm. Uh, but down the line, you know, if you're putting all your eggs in the basket of that product and you don't have IP on it, mm-hmm. it's very easy to, for things to just kind of slip out of your hands. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of services out there, like third-party services that monitor marketplaces mm-hmm. and will help you assist with you kind of leveraging your IP to remove those knockoff products. Yep. Uh, in the past, I think we used something called Brand Cops. I'm not exactly sure who we use now. I'm sure there's services that specialize for like the Australian market as well. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the trademark too would be probably the most inexpensive way of uh, protecting the name of the product or, you know, the style, well, the name. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that's a, that's a problem with IP. I mean, you can spend a hundred grand to get the IP to protect yourself globally or worldwide. Then you've got to be able to monitor it and have the budget to do that on top of 
allocating another budget to actually defend it if you know you end up in court so it's uh yeah i think you know the old adage you know an ip is only as good as your ability to defend it so it can get expensive yeah and i think for, you know for us our one of our biggest hedges i mean we as a product design company mm. we we i think necessarily assume that all of our successful products will be copied in one way, shape, or form by somebody. It's a, and yeah. some of those copies we will be able to, you know, uh, hedge ourselves against. And some of them will be just different enough that yeah. we can't do anything about it. Yeah. And so building a building a brand and like a really loyal following around our products yes. has, has been a priority from the start. And it's something that, you know you can't steal our brand from us. No. Uh, you can't steal what people think about when they think of peak design. No. Um, and so just investing in a brand um, and also just always kind of from a design standpoint, trying to stay one step ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the bag that Amazon copied was actually a, it was a version of our sling that we actually didn't produce anymore. Oh, wow. Um, so... Yeah, it was actually so. That, that, that's another reason why we weren't that bent out of shape when they copied it because yeah. we're like, well, yeah. we've already kind of upgraded, moved it. on. Yeah, and that's the thing too. It's probably it's less expensive to continually innovate on a previous design, I believe, and that's the way that I was sort of doing it when I owned Hibernate. Was that every year or two I was trying to release a new version because the copycats kept coming after me as well, and they sold on Amazon, and I got them removed and all that sort of stuff. But um, I just felt that it was, I just kind of created like the Hypermate 6, the Hypermate 7. It was almost like I just modeled it off like the iPhone. It was started off with the iPhone 2 and then it went to 3 and then it went to 4. You know, and each time it was slightly better than the last. And um, and so that's sort of the way that I was able to try and stay ahead of the competition. Um, and it was a lot less expensive and actually a lot more fun to be casting well doing all those surveys that you talked about asking customers what they wanted improvements mm -hmm. for and then introducing those improvements and and allowing them to feel as though they were part of the of the of the iteration and the and the development of of each design that was released you know because they were they did have great ideas yeah. and that sounds like what you're doing yeah and you don't have to be you know like i said before the people that buy and use our products often identify as being gear nerds, but you don't have to be a gear nerd to be excited about kind of participating in a company's design process. Um, yeah. You know, and Hypermate's a perfect example of that. Like, <laughs> I'm sure your customers weren't, you know, eye mask nerds. No. <laughs> like they were just people who liked getting a good night's sleep. And yeah. the idea that this company would reach out and ask for design suggestions is, I mean, that's something that very few companies Agreed. really do uh, or do well. I absolutely couldn't agree more. Um, mind you, there was plenty of people that offered their free advice. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> There's plenty of those uh, for free. And it was generally, um, dare I, I'll, I'll say it nicely, constructive criticism, I think. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe that. Um, that's really cool. What an amazing story, honestly. Thanks, Adam, for coming on and talking to us about your experience with Peak Design. What have you got in the pipe? Is there any kind of secrets that you can reveal in terms of future campaigns? Has the pandemic put a pause on Kickstarter campaigns for you guys? Or 
No, we've got, we definitely have a, uh, a big pipeline uh, and lots of stuff coming. You know, the mobile products that we launched on Kickstarter at the end of 2020 are actually just now coming to the market. They're just now becoming available. Right. Um, so there's a lot, you know, a lot of new products in that space that yeah. you could just now for the first time actually buy. Uh, and then, you know, it, looking into the next like one, two years, uh, a, a roller bag is definitely in our sights. Uh, more tripods, both on the larger end of what we make and on the smaller end, more like backpacking and sure. tabletop type tripods. And uh, we're also pretty keen on making a more outdoor focused line of bags. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So all of our bags right now have, you know, are kind of focused on commuting photography. They all have kind of like dedicated camera and creative gear carry functionality. But we're looking to making kind of more ultralight Uh uh, bags that are a little bit more versatile and lightweight. That's really exciting. Um, well, I'm, I own the Everyday Messenger bag. I still use it today. I took it to India a couple of years ago. It's still, after all these years, is it still in fantastic shape and uh, one of my favorite all-time products and purchases. The quality is just extraordinary. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for your patronage. <laughs> That's all right. I need to just go out there and buy some more. All right. And uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, and then the other thing I noticed too, sorry, this is, we're trying to wrap up, but as usual, things are dragging on. But I, I was yeah. Hey, w- one second here. Let me just tell my dog to stop barking. <laughs> sure, man. Sure. Buddy, hey, uh, uh-uh. all right. Good dog, buddy. Good dog, buddy. His, you know, his name is Buddy Frank. Get out. The yeah. famous Swans Hawthorne. I don't even know where he plays now. Back at the Swans, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah we we adopted him in the first or second year that we came back from Australia and we just had, we had to do it. He just looked, he looked like a buddy, Franklin. Yeah. He's a, he's like a pit bull mix. And so he's just like kind of big and yeah. Beefy. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just looks like a big beefy guy. <laughs> he plays up full forward and kicks a lot of goals. Um, exactly. Yeah. For a lot of uh, international listeners, they've got no idea who we're talking about or what we're talking about. Australian rules football, I will say, is possibly the most visually entertaining sport. I kind of tend to agree, but of course, I'm rather biased uh, being, being a huge fan. It's such a great sport. It looks like a sport that like kids would make up when bored, you know, and they're just like, well, we've got this rugby ball and we've got this oval here. And- That's you can kick it or you can catch it or you can punch it can. and everybody runs around a lot. <laughs> it's a great sport. It is. A, it's an awesome sport. Do you think it's better than cricket? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, well, oh, it, it's more, it's more entertaining than cricket. That's for it sure. sure is. I'm a, I'm a baseball fan mm-hmm. and I grew up watching baseball and cricket has the same kind of cadence as baseball mm-hmm. does, which is long and like slow and methodical. Yes often, uh, which I find strategically exhilarating, but most people find just boring. I like the tension with baseball, you know, when things are getting down to the top of the ninth or whatever those things are when they're, you know, this last batter and he's got to hit a home run or something. Um, There's a lot of tension and I love that. Uh, I don't know how those guys actually do it. We are so off topic. It's fantastic. 
This is wait. This is not a baseball podcast. <laughs> Am I in the wrong place? <laughs> totally, because I don't. I actually don't know much about it. <laughs> I'm going to crack another beer. Yeah, you do that. You crack another beer. It's too early in the morning here. It's uh, coming up to 11 a.m. and where you are, it is now coming up to 6 p.m. So you're more than mm-hmm. entitled to pull out a beer. Hey, um, one. What I was going to ask you though was Indiegogo. Now I have not seen a campaign on the second biggest crowdfunding platform in the world from Peak Design. Have I missed that or is there a strategic reason why you haven't dipped your nose back in the trough after a Kickstarter campaign on Indiegogo? We did that once, actually. We, Yeah, I think it was for the Backpack Tote and Sling campaign uh-huh. in, in 2016. Uh, we followed it up uh-huh. with a, yeah, a, a campaign on Indiegogo. And... It did. It. Uh, I think ultimately, it it was just sort of lackluster. Oh, right. uh, in, in terms of its performance, mm. we normally what we do is you know we we finish the Kickstarter and then we immediately start taking pre orders on our website yep. for those products, and it we kind of ended that campaign with the feeling that like well. I don't think we got that much more out of this than if we had just kind of pushed these pre-orders through our website. Okay. This was, you know, again, this was a long time ago. Hmm. The platform I remember thinking was a bit jankier than I expected. Mm -hmm. And we did get some, we got a lot of great support from Indiegogo, you know, and they included us in their newsletters and stuff, but it just didn't seem to move the needle all that much. I say. Um, Interesting. So. Interesting. But yeah, I'm not wholly opposed to trying it again. And I think we we often like kind of broach the mm. what what is the word I'm looking for? Um, subject. The existential topic of like does you know what happened what what does a post Kickstarter peak design look like? Uh-huh. Um or you know, are we, will we always just use this as a product launching platform? Will, you know, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to chew on there. <laughs> sure is. Hey, let's wrap this up now. You've taken up sure. a good 40 minutes of your time and I'm very grateful for that. And awesome to, um, first of all, see you again and chat to you again. It's been a long time. And also for sharing the amazing story of Peak Design from way to go. It's been awesome. Thanks, man. It's been great to catch up. Terrific. How do we get in touch with you? Somebody wanted to do that. Ah, uh, well, mm. Adam at peakdesign.com. Shoot me an email. Easy. Sounds. I will warn you that I'm just terrible at uh, managing my inbox. <laughs> it's one of my worst skills. So ah. um, expect a response within several weeks. <laughs> that sounds good. Just batch it up, buddy. Batch them up and then just get them all out in one go and then wait a few more weeks and do it again. Yep. Fantastic. Thanks again for coming on the show, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Chris. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening. 